0: Hey there, I'm Judy Kroon. Welcome to another episode of Laugh, Long, and Prosper. Shelf help with a dash of humor. I believe that humor is one of our best coping mechanisms, especially when we're facing stress and unknown times like COVID. Today is Monday. That means it's time for just another Mindful Monday. I know continuing to write comedy has been a source of mindfulness for myself. And uh, I've been doing a couple of segments now with female comedians called Punchlines with Purpose. This particular comedian today was one of the first people who came to mind because she has done so much for others. Uh, Simone Park is a Jill of all trades and master of a few. Her global career spans 10 countries and includes international branding and advertising, real estate and management consulting. She finally worked up the courage to disappoint her Asian parents and went into stand-up comedy. Uh, shortly after graduating. Graduating from my second city stand-up course. Yes, Simone is one of my star pupils. She entered the next best comic competition and beat out a slew of other comedians across North America to place in the top three. She then moved to Seoul to do comedy and started volunteering with a nonprofit that helped to rescue North Koreans. Having worked on many comedy fundraisers, including a few that I've asked her to do in the past, she's always graciously accepted. Simone then created 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 her own fundraiser. And despite not knowing anyone in Korea, nor nor speaking the language, she gained numerous corporate sponsorships and raised enough to fund the rescue of two and a half uh, North Korean refugees. And I want to ask her about that in a second. Uh, she then traveled to Thailand and fasted for three days in solidarity with North Koreans who continue to starve to death to this day, raising additional funds to save three North Korean refugees. Simone then went on to perform two days at the Bangkok comedy fringe festival. After only four years, Simone has performed in six countries, shared a stage with Jerry Seinfeld and Jim Gaffigan at Gotham Comedy Club in New York City. She's performed alongside Ahmed Ahmed at Yuck Yucks here in Toronto. She's MTC'd and performed comedy at the 34th Annual Miss Asian Global Pageant, as well as uh, Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, and finally performed a comedy set with Stand Up Costa Rica entirely in Spanish. A language she has never learned okay so we'll ask about that as well uh obsessed with world travel and getting out of her comfort zone simone has experienced over 50 countries and is just getting started she loves giving back and has helped build homes schools and communities in kenya guatemala trinidad and tobago el salvador and panama After a violent assault at gunpoint in 2015, Simone didn't stop traveling, never spending more than three months in any given location out of fear of her survival. Hawaii is the first place she says she's felt safe in a long time and has lived there now for almost two years. Her dream is to open a retreat on the big island of Hawaii, where she can help North Korean refugees heal from their trauma before continuing their life in other places of the world. Simone, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Of course. My pleasure, Judy. Thanks for having me.
0: So a couple of quick questions that I wanted to ask you, put little pins in, um, in them, you raised money for two and a half North Korean refugees. So how does that work?
1: <laughs> well, I guess, uh, it costs a certain amount of money to, uh, fund a rescue. And of course this is pre COVID COVID has actually been very disastrous for mm. rescuing the people of North Korea because they do deploy, uh, depend on the supply chain throughout um, Asia to get them to safety and with closed borders and everything else, it's, it's made that extremely difficult, but it's a, it's just a certain amount of money. It's uh, yeah. Unfortunately, North Korean lives do have a, a price tag attached to them. Mm. And so, um, you know, I decided to work with one of the smaller companies for this one. There are well-known organizations, but I think the larger you get, it actually costs more money because they have to fund their advertising and sure. their their staff and everything else. So I just worked with a local reverend um, and I used to just volunteer. We would sort seeds. like we would do these tiny bags of vegetable seeds with tiny little instructions printed out in Korean. Mm. and uh, we would get those smuggled into through China into North Korea. So people could start growing their own food and hopefully would not succumb to dying from malnutrition Mm. and starvation. So after that, we realized that he actually had the ability to get people successfully out of North Korea if we could raise the money. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to find the money and, you know, getting to two and a half individuals is was just not enough for me so i just kept pushing and accosting people to <laughs> give me their money <laughs>
0: you know it's it's really amazing what you've done and you know sometimes people go oh well she's so busy fundraising you know is she funny or is she just fundraising now first of all fundraising is obviously uh, you know, bigger than any of us could imagine. So stand-up comedy is great that, you know, that, you know, she does this on the side. But let me tell you something, Simone is funny. Uh, she is hilarious, in fact. She just, and, and you know, it's only a couple of years she's been doing stand-up comedy, but she's living her dream. She moved to um, she moved to Hawaii, Oahu, and she just finished doing a, a headline set uh, at the Blue Note, um, so yes, yes, she's funny. And Simone, I wanted to ask you that because we had talked about your set just a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to ask you, how
1: did your set go? It went well. I'm actually, you know, as an Asian person, it's very hard to say that I'm proud of myself, but I won't go that <laughs> far. I will. I will say that I am proud of what I did. I, did reveal a lot. I think you know a little bit about my life and you know, it hasn't been easy. So I've had mm. a lot of trauma and mm-hmm. I think I just tried to insert so much of that into my set mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, it's it was my time. So I, I did what I did. I think I touched upon five very traumatic incidences in my life um, and then one bit of feedback from someone that I actually met when I was in South Korea. She lives here now. And she said, you know, maybe, maybe going from rape right into the KKK was a bit much, but otherwise (laughs) the set was great. So.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? You're one of the bravest comics I know. And uh, I've met a lot of comics over the years, but it's funny coaching you in class and then coaching you privately. You're you don't take the advice, which I laugh at all the time because it <laughs> obviously works for you because you know, you've you developed over an hour worth of material in such a short amount of time. But, you know, I say, Simone, you know, start with something safe and no, you write something brand new. You start with something brand new. Go, well, maybe this is kind of a touchy subject. Maybe you want to ease into that. No, you get right into it. Warts and all. And, um, I've always really, <laughs> I really admire that about you. It reminds me of the first set you did that you did in my class, when you talked about being robbed at gunpoint and it was, yes, it was a heavy topic, but you were able to make it really funny. And as a result of your ability to walk that thin line of taking heavy, heavy material and then making it funny you know, you have become a beacon, I think for survivors, you have become a beacon for women in terms of, well, shit, if she can find the comedy in something like that, if she can be brave and she can, you know, bounce back and, and make it work for her, then, then maybe I can do that. So let's go to that story. Um, uh, because as I said, you, it was one of the first stories that you would share it in class. You know, most people, they're so afraid when they start a stand up comedy class. And that was your first thing that you did in front of, the classroom I was like wow this is this person's not taking any taking any prisoners so tell us uh tell our audience what happened
1: uh yeah um this was Thanksgiving 2015 I was in California at the time and a man wanted to I think he wanted to rob me I don't think it was like a rape situation Mm -hmm. I think he just wanted to rob me And uh, at that time, I was quite transient and I was just traveling around. So my passport was my lifeline. And unfortunately for me, Mm. I never travel with my passport. I had it on me that day. I was actually picking up an old gig, like this job that I used to do where I got to travel all over the world and they were sending me to the island of Dominica and I had my passport and a guy just, you know, pulled a gun on me um being from Canada not too familiar with guns and it was incredibly scary um he did hit me punched me pistol whipped me um but I got up and you know my inner voice was screaming that if I didn't fight this man was going to kill me so I fought and I beat the shit out of him and I robbed him so I turned it around and he didn't get anything from me um, so after that incident, I didn't realize that for the next six to seven years, I, I only spent maximum three, maybe four months in any given place. It was incredibly hard to have a relationship. Mm. Um, usually I would start meeting people and then say, well, I'm, I'm moving to Columbia next week. Or, you know, right. I was just, I just kept moving and I didn't realize it was because I felt incredibly unsafe. And I didn't really want people to know where I was going to be, which is a very crazy thing to, to, if you really think about it, like I didn't feel safe enough to stay in a country.
0: (laughs) I know. Yeah. It's so (laughs)
1: weird, but I didn't realize that it didn't set in until, you know, I've been in Hawaii for almost two years now and I feel safe here. And feeling safe enough to, and I've also started therapy that might, uh, that's probably another thing that that could be, that could be a reason. (laughs) So, you know, kind of working through all of these things. Um, I think that's why I'm able to finally share, um, these certain traumatic events. And mind you, since being in Hawaii, I've developed new traumatic events that I will work up to speaking about (laughs) on stage one day. Excellent. Um, But, you know, just being able to get out there and it is a little bit lowbrow. It's not the most intellectually stimulating joke, but I kind of, um, I start off on my knees And basically say how, you know, Oh, I'm I'm an Asian female comedian. You think I'm going to be super dirty. I'm not. And then I get down on my knees Mm -hmm. and I say, ladies, have you ever been in this position? And this big hard black thing is just hitting you all over the face. And and I start hitting myself with the microphone.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then I say, I get up and I say, getting pistol whipped is really not all it's cracked up to be. And, uh, You know, obviously people think that it's something else. And then I kind of do a very local Hawaiian (laughs) joke um, Mm -hmm. that I don't think would necessarily land uh, with, you know, a Canadian audience. But it's just kind of, you know, I like to lead people down a certain avenue where they think it's going to be something and then it's not. And then this is where I take my attempt to to show locals that I understand their slang and everything like that. So it's not the greatest joke I've ever written. um, But I think just being able to, to talk about it on stage means that I'm finally making headway into healing from what happened.
0: Well, you know, like I said, you are one of the bravest people that I know. I noticed a couple of days ago, you had posted something on Facebook. I didn't realize that you had traveled to the top of, you had climbed
1: Kilimanjaro. Tell me about that. I did. Um, So this was also in 2015. A lot happened in that year. And I guess I had realized that I didn't really know myself. I was always chasing um, recognition and being at the top of my field when it came to business, so I didn't, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I liked, um, and so I granted myself the entire year, twenty fifteen, travel wherever I needed to go, just explore, figure out what I liked, what I didn't like. It was just the year of Simone, and I <laughs> started that off uh, traveling to. Africa, Africa. Um, I had lived in North Africa for work, but I, I wanted to go to like the heart of Africa. So I went to Kenya and Tanzania. And um, I think I had actually seen, I had gone to a, a workshop or an event once in Toronto. And uh, they asked people to get on stage and talk about their, their greatest accomplishment. And I remember this this guy, he got on stage and he said, I summited Mount Kilimanjaro, and I said, "Well, if that white guy can do it, I can do it." (laughs) I didn't say that, but you know, it didn't even dawn to me that there was this mountain, and you know, I was going to Africa, and it was in the vicinity, and so I kind of started thinking, "Well, could I do that? What does it take?" And uh, this other woman actually was going to do it with me. And then she dropped out because she, you know, got into a relationship and just totally disregarded our trip to Africa. And I said, well, I guess I'm doing it alone. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I It was never on my radar, but I think all it took was the white man saying that he had done it for me to be <laughs> like, well... <laughs> There but we have it. How,
0: but how does that work? Like, did you have to train? Like, had you ever done any climbing before? Did you have the, uh, you know, did you have to pull yourself up or was it basically, you know, like six really nice Sherpas carrying you up the side of the mountain? Like what's climbing <laughs> Kilimanjaro? Like,
1: I think there's different, there's many different routes that you can take. It's actually not that treacherous or difficult. It's not like Mount Everest where you have to have your ice picks and you know, it's more, it's more trekking. I would say it's still definitely Uh, hard on the body because the altitude is almost 6,000 meters or uh, almost 22,000 feet. Um, But my training consisted of putting a medicine ball into my brand new backpack and Mm -hmm. I put on my brand new hiking boots at good life fitness. And I got on the Stairmaster (laughs) one time. Uh, people looked one at me like time? I was, ab- one time I got on one time and people were like, what is this bitch doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then I think I did a little, like a little 45 minute hike in Kenya. Um, and that was that. Yeah. I just, you know, pfft.
0: Well, you that's brave. I, I got to ask you, okay, almost equally as brave as I, uh, I think you did stand up in Costa Rica entirely in Spanish a language you never really learned. So how does that work?
1: Yes, I, let's see. So in 2017, I was consulting with my friend's company, because I wanted to learn Spanish. Um, the reason why I wanted to learn Spanish was in 2016. I had an opportunity to speak in front of 1500 people and it just happened to be in Florida the day after Donald Trump was elected president uh, and what, yeah, what happened then? It was like the weirdest thing because I had never spoken in front of so many people. I've maybe done, you know, 50 people for a real estate, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I hadn't done comedy at that point. Um, but what happened when I woke up, I remember I went to Google I Googled who is the U S president. And when I saw that something washed over me and it was like, you're going to get up on that stage. This is in Florida. You're going to get up on that stage and you're going to talk about racism. So I took a napkin and I wrote, I wrote KKK gunpoint Uber. And I was as calm as a cucumber. I don't know what Hmm. the heck happened, but my, the speech I was going to give, I threw that away and I just went up on stage in front of 1,500 people into a dress that was three sizes too small because that's all I had. I was like sausaged into this dress and I just spoke from my heart. And I said, This is my experience. And this, you know, I, I feel like I need to talk about racism uh, because of where I was and because of the events that were surrounding this day. And I was voted the number one best speaker. Um, The person who, thanks, Uh, the person who approached me after that was actually a gentleman who wanted to run for president of Honduras. Hmm. And yeah, these weird things happen. And I always question whether or not I'm, I'm help because people ask me to help all the time. And I always question, is this the right side that Hmm. I want to be on? Like, is this a good person? Am I helping the right people. So I was like, I, I won't, I will never know unless I learn Spanish. So then I told myself I want to learn Spanish. And literally the next day. So when I'm in my flow, stuff just comes to me. This mm-hmm. guy was like, hey, we want you to work with our company. We'll send you to Colombia and Argentina hmm. for a month each. And I said, that's going to be a great way for me to learn Spanish. So I started watching telenovelas. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So I watched Colombian telenovela then I got sent to Medellin and there I didn't realize that the only Spanish I knew was telenovela Spanish so (laughs) whenever these you know I would be speaking to um, the people we were working with and like we're going on all these trips and I'm managing you know digital nomads that are coming from all over the world to spend a month in these these cities and so speaking to the locals and I was speaking telenovela Spanish so I was like no, why? And they're like, <laughs> what? Like they were so confused, but they found it so comical. <laughs> and so I had these Colombian dudes in stitches, and I was like, oh, I'm making people laugh. And as a child, I always I was like this joker, this ham. So I I loved making people laugh and doing that in this country. I was like, huh, there's there's something to this. And so I traveled to Argentina for the next um, my next project. And in Buenos Aires, they had the only English speaking, uh, comedy show. And I didn't want to go watch. I wanted to just go and get up and try. Of course you Uh, did. You're Simone
0: (laughs) Park. Of course you did.
1: (laughs) So I actually never wound up going to that. But, um, after that was done, I did a quick stopover in New Orleans and then I came home and I registered and I got you as my teacher.
0: Well, you know what? It was it was meant to be because, uh, you know, I am so happy that I had a, such a tiny part in getting you on the uh, the route to do stand up comedy but you know, aside from stand-up comedy, you are, like I said, such a such a giving person that I wanted to um, you know, I wanted to make sure that folks knew about you. Uh, that uh, so, for example, doing this podcast, I guess my my last question to you, you have a lot of causes. You've done a a lot of work. You're a, a very, very funny comic. Um, but if there was one message that you had to pick out of all the messages and all the organizations that you've you've spoken for, spoken to, uh, raised money for, uh, what would that, what would your message, what would that one mes- message, one takeaway be?
1: Hmm. That's a great question. And also you're being very humble. You were definitely more than a small part on my journey. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for you. So I just want to make that very clear. You've been hugely impactful on my comedy career and oh. my life, Judy Croon. So thank you to you. Now getting back to your question, mm-hmm. if I could make one lasting statement, I think it would be to support and stand up for things, even if they don't directly impact you. Mm. And that might not make sense, but, you know, oftentimes with causes that I get involved with, or that I care about, people have a hard time making the connecting factor. So obviously, my father was born technically in North Korea, so I have a special affinity to help the people of North Korea. But it's also because I've personally been able to speak and meet North Koreans who have gotten out. And they're the kindest, most wonderful people that have just such a positive outlook on life, despite the horrible life Mm. that they've finally managed to escape from. And, you know, I think sometimes it's hard for people to make that connection when it isn't directly or even like two, three degrees of separation from themselves and their life. Right. You know, oftentimes we just care about, myself and my direct sphere of influence. So myself, my friends, and my closest like family. But when we disregard what happens in the world, it actually does affect us on a deeper fundamental level. It might not be as obvious, um, but when we don't stand up for the rights of others when we don't stand up for what is right for us as a human race um it will wind up biting us in the ass at some point point. and why i'm taking this very convoluted indirect approach i have no idea um but that's just what i will say and i don't even know if that made any sense do you, do, no
0: what? that makes that makes a tremendous amount of sense because you know i um you, that makes a tremendous amount of sense because honestly, when something happens in the world, ninety nine point nine percent of the people who are ninety nine point nine percent of the people are are bystanders. So we need, even if we shave off five of those five percent of those bystanders and they do something, it it spreads. So every little bit helps, and I think we forget about that. And you know, I touch on this in my keynote, talk about, um, about giving back, that individuals who give back that become part of a um, you know a bigger scene, giving something back to the environment, giving something back to individuals overall tend to be healthier. Companies that have a big picture for their employees that give something back. Uh, Patagonia, perfect example. Patagonia, uh, you know, one of the first pr- uh, companies to come along, and not everybody wears mountain gear, mountain wear. But you know the fact that Patagonia said we'd like to give a percentage of our proceeds to nonprofit organizations, uh, in, in particular environmental um, organizations. They, they their sales have been that many. That many people cannot be wearing mountain gear, but this past Black Friday, you know, they were earmarking, they were going to take all of their proceeds and give it to nonprofit environmental uh, groups. Instead of $2 million, they raised over $10 million. So it's good for individuals. It's good for companies to give back. So I'm so glad that uh, that you're out there and not like I said, not only are you a, a giving person, but you're tremendously funny as well. So, folks, to reach Simone, Simone Park, you can go to Simone at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go to uh, on Twitter at spark the Power. If you'd like to catch up on any of my other laugh, long and prosper episodes, voted one of the best podcasts of 2021 in Canada by CTV. You can check me out on Judy Croon on Spotify and or SoundCloud and or Amazon, or you can go to my website, judycroon.com. Simone, thank you so much for joining my show. I wish you all the best of luck. Keep them laughing.
1: Thank you so much, Judy. You're the best. Until next time, folks, laugh long and prosper.